This we'll look at uh, verses 1 to 12 of Matthew chapter 5. These are the Beatitudes. Now when, now when he, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his, uh, in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, James Bryan Smith tells a story about a young man with, uh, with Down syndrome who shared his testimony at, at his church. And uh, this young man was named Kevin, and he had some other physical ailments. So his, the way that he communicated was mostly uh, through sign language, uh, through nods, through grunts, and through lots and lots of smiles. And the pastor brought him up, and Kevin was wearing his Special Olympics medal, and so the pastor asked him about that. You know, and, and he was so excited to share about that, the medal he had gotten the day before. And the pastor even shared with the congregation that Kevin would have won a few more medals, but he kept stopping to help the other kids that had fallen back or had fallen down. And the pastor said to Kevin, Kevin, you're just about the happiest guy that I know. Where does, how are you so joyful? Where does that come from? And Kevin pointed up. And the pastor said, God? And Kevin, and Kevin just shook his head several times, just nodded in agreement. God, God's where I get my joy from. And then Kevin kind of raised his hand to add something. And then he stretched out his arms. He stretched out his arms. And the pastor said to him, do you mean Jesus dying for you? And Kevin started nodding and with great excitement, he started jumping up and down to communicate this to the congregation. And then, and then he signed, Jesus loves you and I love you. And then, this is kind of my favorite part, because I always wish this would happen to me, then he gave the pastor a huge hug, and he went off the, the stage, and he said there was barely a dry eye in the room, that that was the greatest testimony that they had ever heard. And he wrote 
that when Kevin gave his testimony, I started to understand what the Beatitudes are all about. That, you know, in our world, the powerful, the rich, the highly intelligent, they're the ones that are seen as successful. They're the ones that we sort of think, man, that person, they've got it made. They're so well off. And in the kingdom of God, we have a different identity. In God's kingdom, the poor in spirit are given the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to read through and um, just shortly explain each of these beatitudes. But I want you to hold on to the question. What are the characteristics of a kingdom identity? What does this kingdom life look like? You know, how is it different from the world that we're living in with all the messages that it gives us about competition, about earning what you've got, about being good enough? You know, I want us to consider this morning, how can we all live a little bit more like Kevin? With a simple trust in our Father to provide for us? With, you know, not caring if we win or lose? Finding our joy in God alone? Just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen in God's kingdom. I'm safe with Him no matter what happens. Sharing about Christ's love for people by stretching out our hands, a simple gesture that Christ loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. That is what kingdom identity looks like. So normally uh, what I do in my sermons is I take one idea from a section of scripture from a few verses and I kind of go deeper with it and dig into it and try to explain it uh, to us so that we can live it out. This morning, I want to very briefly explore all of these Beatitudes, but, but before we do that, I want to I communicate you, to you one really, really important thing. Otherwise, we're going to get the, the Beatitudes all wrong. This list that Jesus gives us is not a bunch of hoops to jump over. It's not a laundry list of things that you should try harder on or be more of in order to maybe get your way into the kingdom. That's just dead religion, trying to work our way up to God. These are blessings, part of a kingdom identity. They're a picture of, of life with Christ. You know, Jesus has called his disciples to him. If you look at the verses just prior to this, at the end of chapter 4, Jesus is starting to become famous, and crowds are starting to follow after him because he can heal people, and he's doing all these miracles. And so large groups of people are coming to him to teach. Well, at that point, our text this morning when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So these are people that have already committed their lives to Jesus. These are disciples and he's just showing them this is how you live 
out the identity that I've already given you. If you don't do that, if you look at them like a list of things that you have to do, you're either going to give up on the Christian life and walk away, or you're going to drive yourself crazy thinking, well, I'm, I'm not like this. I'm not enough. These are Christ's blessings, his words of grace to his followers, to his disciples. So first, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And unfortunately, blessed is not a great translation because it's a word that is used so much, especially in church, that it's lost some of its, some of its shock value. You know, to, to the original hearers, to the disciples, they would have heard it more like, you know, the truly well-off, the well-off, the truly well-off, the poor in spirit are the ones that are truly well-off. And they would have been shocked by that because it makes no sense for the outcasts, the marginalized, the people who didn't fit in, in the synagogue or in the culture, you know, people with diseases, people with addictions, people that had no resources. Jesus is saying they are the ones that are well off. You know, when I, when I think about the poor in spirit, I think about the guys hanging out at 162nd and Stark up the street here. It seems like there's always guys hanging out there in the middle of the day, uh, maybe drinking out of a paper bag. Maybe they have no place to go, no place to stay. And maybe they've struggled with drugs or alcohol. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is open to them. That is theirs if they have the eyes to see it, if they, if they can receive it. And how, how would they be truly well off? How would they inherit the kingdom? You know, how would they be better than me? You know, I'm well educated. I go to the dentist every six months. I haven't had a drug or alcohol problem for 35 years. And yet, they are well off, they are blessed, if they know that they need the kingdom of God and that they need the king. A lot of people are distracted from their kingdom identity by their wealth, by their power, by their education, and it's distracting them from their need for God. The poor in spirit, sometimes they can see their need for God more because they're so desperate for him on a day-to-day -day basis. Jesus continues, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When I put this message together at the beginning of the week, um, I, I wrote down my thoughts. I, I wrote that this was a word for today. This was a word, you know, for 2020. And we feel that those of us who knew and loved Jane, we feel it even more acutely this morning because of the loss. 
Some of us lost experiences. Some of us lost a sense of normalcy. Some of us lost our jobs. Others lost their spouses, their parents, or something else. And in the middle of all that, Jesus says, You are seen. You are known. I haven't forgotten about you. And that in the kingdom identity, in the kingdom of God, people are comforted because there's a bigger story. There's a bigger story that even when people depart this life for the next, they are in God's care. They are with him. They belong to him. And so that allows people who have a kingdom identity to live out the words of 1 Thessalonians. That when we grieve, we do not do so as people without hope. We have a deep hope in Christ. And that is our foundation when we are mourning. In, in the world, outside of the kingdom of God, there isn't a strong foundation. There's nothing to stand on. There's sort of these vague platitudes about what happens, but there's not the deep hope that we have in Christ, the assurance. When we mourn, we are, we are comforted by Jesus and by the hope that he gives. And that's a real hope. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There was this commercial that Nike did back, you know, in the 90s when I was a teenager, and it had the NBA player Charles Barkley. And he was, you know, being really aggressive and diving for loose balls and dunking on people and chasing rebounds and all this sort of thing. And then at the end of the commercial, it said, Blessed are the meek? I don't think so. Nike. Just do it. And doesn't that sort of prove my point? That, in the, in the, that there's this different kingdom identity. You know, the world is all about being aggressive, throwing a few elbows, taking revenge. If somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. And in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. Again, we have to understand how the original audience would have heard this. The word that Jesus uses is for a person who's being bullied and beat up and they can't fight back. Maybe they can't fight back because they're physically weaker. Or maybe they can't fight back because they're not in a position of privilege. Maybe you can't fight back against a Roman soldier because he'll kill you if you punch him back. And Jesus says that those are the ones that are going to inherit the land. Those are the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Those are the ones that are going to receive all the things that they missed out on in this life. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For a lot of us, the last few months, we've been sort of... Uh, surrounded by tears 
We've, we've known that this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how life should go. And we're, we're hungering and thirsting. And those are pretty primal feelings, right? I have a two-year-old daughter, and when she's hungry or thirsty, she lets you know. She gets everybody's attention because it's primal. If we hunger for righteousness, we are dying for the ways of God. We want to live in a world that he rules. We want to live in his kingdom completed. And we are hungry for someone to make things new and to make things right. Jesus says that we are blessed, we are well off when we hunger and thirst for God's ways of doing things. And he is saying and he is promising that eventually that hunger and that thirst will be quenched. That all these things that the Holy Spirit put in our heart and in our life, all these visions of the earth being renewed and relationships being restored and things being put right and life after death, that they are coming in Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is, this is similar to what Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to study in a few weeks. That forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us, Lord, and, then, and we can forgive those that have hurt us. And again, this is, this is what people with a kingdom identity do. We forgive. It may not be easy. It may not be immediate. <laughs> where there's pain, where there's like, abuse, where there's neglect, it's not going to be easy. And yet we're committed to the path of forgiveness. Because we know, people in the kingdom know how much they've been forgiven. We've been forgiven so much by a holy God, by a perfect God. How could we not extend that forgiveness to other people? Those that that live outside of a kingdom identity, they, they hang on to bitterness. They hang on to the pain. And it can slowly eat you alive. But we have been shown mercy, so we extend that mercy to other people. These are a couple of my my favorite quotes about mercy. Uh, Anne Lamott says that not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When we can't forgive, when we don't extend mercy, it only ends up harming us. And then Lewis Smead said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize that the prisoner was you. We get stuck. We get in prison in this place of hurt and grief and pain. And we end up locking ourselves in. And yet that takes away from our ability to love and to move on. What an amazing opportunity we have at the start of a new calendar year to do some work in this area, 
to sit back and reflect and think, you know what? I got a little beat up in 2020, emotionally. It was difficult. It was stressful. It was hard on so many of us. Who do I need to forgive? Who can I let go of? And start to live out of the forgiveness and the freedom that Jesus offers. To start this new year with a clean slate. That's what Christ wants for each one of us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who are the pure in heart? I've said this a lot, but when Jesus talks about the heart, he's not just talking about our emotions. He's not talking about falling in and out of love. He's not talking about romance. He's talking about our guts. In the Bible, when the heart is referred to, it's talking about the seed of our, uh, of our desires, the place where we, where we want things, good or bad. <laughs> One of the scholars that writes on Matthew, Dale Bruner, he said, in the Beatitudes, Jesus doesn't so much bless people's hands as he does their core. In Hebrew, the heart is literally the human center, the home of personal feelings, wills, and thinking. So Jesus is saying, if you are clear about your center, if you, if you desire the kingdom above all else, then you will see the king. You will see God. Is there anything better than getting a vision of God? Anything better in the universe than to see God move? That's what it means to be pure in heart, to seek first God's kingdom and to live out of our kingdom identity, who God has made us to be. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemakers are people that are caught in the middle. Those who are, you know, mediating between warring parties. And I certainly don't sprint into these sorts of situations, although as a pastor you find yourself in them from time to time. But this is the work of every follower of Jesus. To proclaim peace. To say that there's something deeper going on. Um, those, those that are in the kingdom, that live out of a kingdom identity, we get to do this thing called conflict. We get to do it well. I don't think the world knows how to do conflict. Right now, there's a, a lot of people that when they're in a conflict, it just means I, I walk away. I'm done. I wash my hands of that person. Um, you, you, know, you, you give up. You take everything very personally. There's, a, there's this, these buzzwords now, you know, cancel culture. Just cancel that person. They're out of your life. And your world gets smaller. But Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. To reflect on who we are. To reflect on the role that we play in any conflict. And to pursue peace as far as it is possible with you. Be at peace with everyone. 
my wife Lily and I have a phrase that we kind of joke around. It's kind of a, um, you know, just a code word for us. But we say, are you sure you're not the bad roommate? You know, not, not to each other. But it's, there's a backstory to it. Because we had this friend who, um, she, she was just so unlucky. I mean, she had five bad roommates in a row. Just month after month, year after year. I mean, some of them were too dirty. Some of them were too clean. Some of them were late all the time. Some of them showed up too early. I mean, some of them were nice, but most of them were too nice. And it came to this point where we just said to our friend, girl, are you sure you're not the bad roommate? If you have bad roommate in a row, you know, one after the other, when everyone else seems to be the problem, it's a call to us to reflect, to see the role that we're playing, to look inward, to be honest about ourselves and the role that we're playing in a conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And finally, verses 10 and 11, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are well off when we're persecuted. Again, it's sort of a head-scratcher that Jesus gives, gives us. I mean, do you want to be persecuted? Do you want to be hated? Do you want to be misunderstood? Do you want to be even reviled? For the right reasons, yes, you do. You are blessed when people misunderstand your life. Not your religiousness, not the fact that you think you're better than everyone, not your Messiah complex, but when you are persecuted for living like God wants you to live. When you're persecuted for walking in His ways, for walking the extra mile, for showing grace to people that don't deserve it, for loving the unlovable, for pursuing holiness when the world doesn't understand why, for being generous when the world questions that. Jesus says that you are blessed when you are persecuted. And he reminds them, you know, I stand in this Old Testament tradition. The prophets Nobody understood them either. Nobody wanted to change their lives. They stoned them. They insulted them. They didn't listen to them. And yet, he got the disciples' attention. Look at the way that they lived. Not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but look at the book of Acts. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, how they were willing to submit to physical beatings and stress and anxiety and being attacked and being maligned and being misunderstood in the synagogue, being misunderstood by the government. 
And then read your church history. So many of these disciples, listen to this right now, gave up their lives. They gave up their lives because they were not willing to say, Caesar is Lord. They were not willing to live in the kingdom of Caesar. They were living in Christ's kingdom. Their kingdom identity came first. They were sons and daughters of the king. And that was all that mattered in a sense. What the church father said 2,000 years ago is still true today, all over the world. In some places, saying Jesus is Lord will get you killed. And yet, what they said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's still true. It inspires all of us to take up our cross and follow Jesus and to know that we are well off that we are blessed when we're persecuted because because of Jesus, because we want to walk in his ways. So what what does a life like this, what does it look like practically in the real day to day life that we live every day? I read a wonderful book this week I finished it on January 1st, and I was thinking to myself, I don't think I'm going to read a better book the whole year. Why did I read it on January 1st? It's by Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible Translation, and about 20 other books. It's called Letters to a Young Pastor. Now, I don't consider myself a young pastor anymore, but I still wanted to read the book. It was letters that he wrote his son, who was also a pastor. So when he was in his 30s and Eugene was retired and um, he wrote all these letters and they are beautiful letters. They are, you know, they are, his son is just in the trenches of ministry, of everyday ministry, dealing um, with the challenges of that. And the letters are marked by two things, humility and love. Eugene Peterson, by this time, was very well-known in Christian circles. That the man sold over 20 million books. And he, he, he complains about, you know, sort of being a pawn in the evangelical marketplace. People always trying to sell him things or sell him to the world. He, he talks about how uncomfortable he was in that place. He's this humble, gritty guy from Montana who gave away all the money he made from his books and lived in a small cabin that his dad had built 80 years prior on a little lake in Montana. He was content with that. He was humble. He didn't know what all the fuss was about because he just told people about Jesus. And It was marked by love. Every single letter he wrote to his son, he told him that he loved him, that he was proud of him. The letters, and Eugene Peterson, who went to be with the Lord two years ago, he was marked by this purity of heart that the Beatitudes talk about. This is a wonderful identity. This is a kingdom identity. 
Soak in it. You know, remember. Remember you're a child of God. Remember that you've, you've been baptized to the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is your identity as a beloved child of the King. That's what we're called to walk in. Revel, revel in that grace. Soak in that grace that keeps you as a child of God, living in your kingdom identity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have opened the doors and you have called us to be part of your kingdom. May we make you our Lord and our King this week. May we live out of that identity as the most important thing. Every other identity is like building a house on sand. Lord, thank you that you have called us to yourself and that these countercultural ways of being and thoughts and actions are marks that we belong to you. Help us to, to live into that, to be challenged by it, to be humbled by it, and to take peace and comfort in knowing that we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.